Welcome to the Frederick Democrats podcast, a production of the Frederick County Democratic State Central Committee. I'm your host, Josh Kramer, and with me today is one of my colleagues from the Central Committee, Tom Slater. And what we are talking about today is the delegate selection process for the state of Maryland, for those delegates who will go to represent uh, various candidates going into the DNC convention in 2020. Tom, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Glad to be here. I've got several questions that I wanted to ask you about. And one of the things is, and, and reason one reason why I wanted to ask you to be on this podcast today is because you have had the, uh, the experience, uh, hopefully the pleasure, of serving as a delegate to a former uh, uh, DNC convention. So uh, first question I had for you, since you have been a delegate before, uh, could you share how you got to become a delegate? Well, I've, I've been to 12 conventions and two midterm conferences. Uh, the Democratic Party had three midterm conferences starting in the 70s and then stopped doing it. And I first went to the Democratic Convention in 1972, and I've been to everyone since then. I was first a delegate in 1980, and I was a delegate in 2012, so it was 32 years apart. Uh, when I was first a delegate in 1980, uh, uh, that may have been before you were born, I'm not sure. Just a so, little bit, just a little the, bit before I was born. So <laughs> uh, I started to say, as you will remember, but, but you won't. Um, in 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter was running for re-election, and he was challenged by uh, Ted Kennedy. And I was a, a Ted Kennedy supporter uh, because I didn't think Carter could get re-elected. And uh, uh, in Maryland, there weren't many... Uh, I was on the Central Committee, so there weren't many elected officials, if you count the Central Committee as an elected official, who were for Kennedy. All the established politicians were, most of the established politicians were for the president, for the sitting president. So I got involved in the Carter campaign, and, and the advice to anybody who wants to be a delegate is get involved in a campaign, get involved in a campaign early. You mean the Kennedy campaign you got involved with? Yeah, did I say yeah, Carter? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I got involved in the in the Kennedy campaign. And so, as I was saying, get involved early, support your candidate, get to know the people who are running the campaign, because eventually those people are going to decide who gets to be a delegate. I mean, technically, the voters elect who gets to be a delegate, but to get yourself on the ballot, you need the support of the campaign. And so uh, I uh, was approached about being a an at-large uh, candidate or an at-large delegate to the convention. At-large delegates back then and today are chosen by the Central Committee, the State Central Committee of Maryland, and uh, but they're slated. So I was on the Kennedy slate because I'd worked so hard in the campaign and there weren't many other people who were active in politics to the degree that I had been who were supporting Kennedy. And so I was selected as an at-large delegate. In 2012, I was an early supporter of Barack Obama in 2007, and I'd heard him at the convention in 2004. Uh, in fact, I'd met him in 2004. I have a great picture with him uh, from 2004, and that was when he was a state senator. He hadn't even been elected to the U.S. Senate yet. So I became active early in the Obama campaign, and the same thing. I was a in 2008, I was on the Rules Committee at the convention, and in 2012, I was a delegate, and that was because I knew the person who was making the decision, 
and he recognized that I'd worked hard in the campaign, was an early supporter. So that's the lesson. If you want to be a delegate, uh, get early involved and support in all your capacity the person that you think uh, you want to be selected as a presidential candidate. And, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted us to do this podcast, because I, I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation or misunderstanding about uh, the process and everything. But before we get into because I did have some questions about the, the, the process uh, of, of becoming a delegate. But first, before we do that, I wanted to get into a little bit about maybe a, a, a neat story or a quick little story or two that you have about being uh, a delegate, well, either I, in 1980 or in 2012. Well, let me go back to 1972, okay. because the, the other message that I would give is if you're interested in politics, go to the convention. Whether you're a delegate or not, you could maybe be a page, you could be on, a, on one of the committees, there are three committees, uh, or you can just be a guest. And just being a guest gets, gets you into most everything not on the floor as much as you may like, but you'll probably get on the floor at least once. Uh, and it's just fun. I, I went down in 72. The convention then was in Miami Beach. Uh, George McGovern uh, was the one who was nominated in 72. And I, uh, I was 26 years old. Uh, I was a, uh, or 27, and uh, I was a teacher at Linganore High School, but I was really f obsessed with politics. And Gene Cunahan, who's a friend of mine from college, and Ron Young, who was uh, uh, an alderman in the city of Frederick before he was mayor, the three of us got in my car and drove to Miami Beach straight through, went to the Kenilworth Hotel, that's where the Maryland delegation was, and just hung out. And the, the, for a 27-year-old high school teacher to go to the hospitality room and sit on the couch with Marvin Mandel, who was the governor, he's got a bourbon in one hand and a pipe in the other, telling war stories was just, like, wonderful. And then I left the hospitality room, walked across the hall to the bar in the hotel, and I sat next to Gordon Peterson, uh, the broadcaster, and uh, he was having a drink, and we sat down and started talking about uh, his career. And so, you know, it just, I said, this is really wonderful. This is great. You can go to all these things and meet all these people. And so I've been to everyone since then. Um, in 1980, a highlight for me was Ted Kennedy invited all of the uh, uh, delegates from Virginia and Maryland who were pledged to him to come to his house in uh, in. Uh, uh, Northern Virginia, and uh, so that was kind of neat to just roam through his house with all the pictures on the piano and everything else, and and to go out on his deck. And I have a picture with Ted Kennedy at, at that time. And uh, the another interesting little story is I ended up not voting for Kennedy at the convention. One of the big controversies was uh, this rule that said that you had to vote for who you were pledged to, and of course I was pledged to Kennedy. But on Monday. Uh, Ted Kennedy gave a speech on the convention floor, uh, and he withdrew. Uh, he withdrew his candidacy. He said, I'm not a candidate anymore. Uh, and uh, that evening, the Maryland delegation, led by Barbara McCoskey and Mary Pat Clark, Mary Pat Clark is still uh, a member of the council in Baltimore City. Barbara, back then, I think was on the council, or she was in Congress, I can't remember, but anyway, they were the chairs of the Kennedy delegation. We all met up in the rafters of Madison Square Garden and we were trying to decide what to do. 
And they said, well, let's vote for Kennedy just as a protest. And Jerry Curran, who uh, was a delegate then, uh, and uh, he and I said, well, that's kind of stupid. I mean, our candidate has withdrawn. We're here to nominate a candidate for president. Carter's definitely going to get it. So we voted, Jerry and I voted for Carter, even though we were pledged to Ted Kennedy, uh, because we just didn't think doing a protest uh, did any good. And the other thing I'll say, and I'll try to keep it as short as possible, uh, is that um, to be on the floor of the convention, to hear Ted Kennedy's speech, I mean, the Carter delegates were standing on their chairs waving Kennedy signs when he withdrew uh, because he was so uh, eloquent. Uh, Walter Mondale's acceptance speech, I remember. Uh, Jesse Jackson, I don't remember which convention it was, but I remember hearing being on the floor when Jesse Jackson spoke. To hear some of those speeches and to be there in the room when they happen is, is amazing. And it's one more quick story, and then I'll stop the stories. In 1972, when Gene and uh, Ron and I uh, went there, after, you know, it's hard to say you, you remember, but you don't, uh, the, uh, the McGovern was criticized because they didn't organize the convention very well, and he, was, he accepted the nomination at like 2 o'clock in the morning when nobody was watching TV. And Ron was an alternate delegate from McGovern. Gene and I were just there, but people were leaving, so we picked up their, we asked them for their credentials, and we got them. We went in, so we were there on the floor at the end. So when it was over with, we were going to the Fountain Blue Hotel, and we were looking, we were looking for something to drink. And all the bars were closed, but it was crowded with people. And we saw this really uh, impressive looking man in a really fancy suit. So we followed him, got in the elevator. They had elevator operators in. He said, penthouse. And we said, penthouse. And so the three of us went up to the penthouse. This guy walks along the hall. There's this lady setting up this table uh, with name tags and all that kind of stuff. He walks on through. Gene and I walk through, and they stop Ron. He doesn't get through. Gene and I walk in, and we're in the McGovern campaign celebration of him just being nominated for president of the United States. There are about 30 people there. They're all slapping each other on the back, and we did it, we did it, we did it. And Gene and I are just kind of looking around like we didn't know anybody, but it was exciting. Jesse Jackson was there, and, and uh, maybe he wasn't there. I can't remember. Uh, but Julian Bond and Pierre Salinger and all the, the uh, McGovern people were there. And so we, we just walked in and got in. So, and that happens a lot of times. You get into things that you don't have an invitation to, but you manage to get in. So I got lots of stories about oh, conventions. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I, I failed to mention when we started uh, recording this uh, that, that you are also the uh, Frederick County Democratic Party's uh, historian. And, of course, anybody who's been in your law office uh, has, has seen all the, the photographs all over of the, uh, uh, all, the, all the, the elected officials and everybody who you've had a chance to meet uh, over, over the past several decades. Uh, the 2020... Uh, DNC is there there are some changes to it and of course each state party has their own processes and, and, and regulations and, and procedures to 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 select delegates and so forth and my next question gets into more about the process now it's a lengthy document you and I of course have gone through it because we had to vote on it uh, we, as members of the Central Committee but 
very quickly just some of the maybe the highlights of 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 the process. And of course, I'm going to link the document. I've already linked the document on on our Frederick County Democratic Party forum page. Uh, but uh, some of just the the basics of what the process is going to be like for the state of Maryland? Well, the, the process that we have is pretty much the same as it's been for the last three or four cycles. Uh, the, the basic rules are set by the Democratic National Committee, and then there are some variations, but essentially uh, it's the same in, in every state, except some states choose their delegates by primary and some by caucus, although I think they've done something to reduce the caucus uh, situation in this election cycle. And um, then they've also done something about the uh, uh, people who were, uh, what were they called? Uh, well, the, the, there are, I, I think you're talking about the, the automatic delegates, yeah, yeah. but they've been known, it, they've been referred to in the media as super delegates. Super delegates, yeah. yeah. And the super delegates, because all members of Congress, any sitting governor, any former governor, uh, but where it really got to be a problem was uh, with the members of the DNC, because they, the Democratic National Committee, because they expanded it. And so there are lots of members of the Democratic National Committee because they're committees of the committee and all that. And interestingly enough, because we're in Maryland, a lot of people in the DNC live in Maryland, live in Chevy Chase or Montgomery County. Our delegation gets expanded because we get those people added to us. But as I understand the rules, the, the, the automatic delegates don't get to vote on the first ballot. Uh, so that's a big change. Uh, and historically, back before I ever got involved, it was mostly the politicos who went to the convention, the political office holders, and they didn't even have primary elections to a large extent. Yeah. Uh, and then the the McGovern Commission changed that, and then the McCoskey Commission, Barbara McCoskey was in charge of something that changed the rules. So now Maryland has 102 delegates, uh, and then we may get some additional uh, uh, automatic delegates, uh, but 52 of those delegates are elected at the district level. Uh, for example, the 6th district gets three men and two women for a total of five delegates. Each district, uh, I mean, the total district, uh, the total number of district delegates have to be equally divided between men and women at 26 and 26. And, and so these are based on congressional districts and that men to women breakdown, there is a note there, assuming no gender non-binary delegates are elected. That's not saying that they won't be elected, but uh, there, right. I, I assume that there's going to be another procedure. Uh, I don't, uh, if, I don't know what they're going to do if that happens. But but anyway, we, we in the 6th, and, and of course, Frederick also has the 8th. So the 8th district gets four males and three females. The 6th gets three males and two females. And somewhere else in the in the delegation, they make up uh, for that, and it's equally divided. But but what what is confusing is you you can't just put your name up and run mm -hmm. uh, and say I'm in favor of Elizabeth Warren, so I'm going to be an Elizabeth Warren delegate. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, what happens is you have to file in Annapolis in a certain time period, and you s pledge who you want to. Uh, support. And then when the deadline comes for filing, then each campaign has a representative 
who's designated ahead of time, and the elections board or the state party reports back to that designated person as to who in the 6th district, for example, has filed for Elizabeth Warren. And they get to decide, the Elizabeth Warren campaign gets to decide who's actually going to be on the ballot with Elizabeth Warren beside their name. And so in the 6th district, since we get three males and two females, they're going to designate three males and two females to be the Elizabeth Warren delegate, just as an example. And so all those other people who might have put their names in and wanted to be Elizabeth Warren delegates are not going to be on the ballot. They can be on the ballot, but they won't be on the ballot associated with the candidate that they want. And that's why getting involved in the campaign early on is important. If you want to be one of those designated delegates, you better be uh, involved in the campaign because somebody in that campaign is going to decide who gets to be on the ballot. And that is true also when it comes to the selection of the at-large delegates. There are 17 at-large delegates uh, and there are 10 what are called PLEOs, pledged L-E-O, I forget what, pledged and elected official. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the L stands for, but anyway, those are 10 additional delegates that are selected at the, at the state central committee level, but they'll be slates. In other words, there's a negotiation. Let's say the, fifth, the threshold in Maryland is 15%. So to get any delegates, you have to have 15% of the vote, of the popular vote. So I'm just picking names. I'm definitely not mentioning the person I support just so I don't show any uh, uh, favoritism. But let's say Warren gets 30% and, and uh, Kamala Harris gets 16%. Then uh, if it's a two-to-one ratio and there are two people who get over 15%, then at the state level when they pick the 17 at large and the PLEOs, they're going to have to be two-to-one Warren over Harris, and they'll form a slate, and they'll negotiate who, let's say, Warren gets uh, seven of the ten and uh, Harris gets three. Well, they'll figure that out. And what complicates it even further is the... Uh, uh, yeah, this isn't complicated at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, what complicates it, it further is the representation goals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that the whole delegation, when it's said and done has to, uh, the 102 have to be 43% African-American, 6% Hispanic, 6% Asian-American and Pacific Islanders, 5% LGBTQ+, 13% people with disabilities, and 32% youth. So the whole delegation has to come close to those percentages. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of negotiations going to go on between the campaigns to figure out who to designate the at-large, or who to put at the district level, and who to put at the at-large later when that's chosen by the Central Committee, because they got to make sure that the whole delegation is equally divided between men and women, as well as all those, um, some would say quotas, but their goals uh, have to be approached. Now, it, when you think about it, and I voted against this plan. There were two people who voted against it. I, I voted for it. I was one of two because I didn't think that requiring 32% be youth made any sense to me. But I'll explain that later if, if anybody wants to know. But when you add it up, when you add all these goals up, it's 100%. Mm -hmm. So you might say, well, then how can an older white male or female who's not disabled 
and and not gay get selected. Well, the problem, the the way it works is that some people are twofers or threefers or fourfers. In other words, if you're 30 years old, gay and disabled, you an African American, you you got four. Yeah, you four check of those, off a lot of those boxes. Yeah, just, you yep. got four of those categories. So that way, there is room for. Uh, for people who don't fit in any of those and, and these are these are goals. They're not necessarily what's ultimately going to end up happening. But this is historically we come really close to those yeah, goals. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's not much deviation, and that's why you have a credentials committee. Mm-hmm. You have three committees: the rules, the platform, and the credentials. And the state gets three for each of those committees. So for those people who are interested in being a delegate, maybe you don't get to be a delegate. Maybe you get to be on a committee. Uh, it gives you uh, credentials for one day at the convention. You get to go on the floor the day that they're discussing either the platform credentials or or rules, uh, and you get to be a part of, official part of the delegation. Uh, but anyway, if we didn't meet the quotas or the goals, somebody could challenge it, and then it would go to the rules committee, I mean the credentials committee, and the credentials committee would decide uh, if uh, appropriate effort had been made to meet those goals. And and that's why the committees, the presidential campaign committees, have to work together. Yeah, and, you know, it, it it's all, it seems very complex. I mean, I think you and I have a fairly good understanding of it because we had to. Um, uh, but, you know, one of the, the things with this is, uh, and this, this will kind of lead me into my last question, um, is... You know, people talk about this so-called um, uh, the DNC establishment and everything, and they get really frustrated with the DNC establishment. But I would say that I think it's very important when, when we're looking at who the actual people are who will be nominating uh, the candidate for the Democratic Party to go uh, up against Trump and, and, and to uh, relieve him of his duties. Uh, that we understand that, that these are people, the delegates are people who have been selected by the campaigns themselves. They've been, uh, the, the candidates have that opportunity. Once, once people file to be a delegate for said campaign, the candidate then gets to vet that person or their representative vets that person and makes a decision as to whether or not they want that person to be on the ballot with the candidate. So it's not the DNC or the establishment of the party that's making that decision. Bernie Sanders is making that decision for himself or his team is making that decision for themselves. Um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard's making that decision for herself and her team uh, and, 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 and so on and so on. Joe Biden and, and all those candidates. Well, I, I make two co- Well, that's true. Now that the superdelegates don't get to vote on the first ballot. Yeah. But the complaint was that the superdelegates are not chosen by the candidates. On the other hand, there are people who are have been around, who know what's going on, who who have the party at, at interests, and so they're more seasoned uh, political people. And certainly members of Congress would argue that, you know, they serve in Congress, they represent 
the country, they represent the Democratic districts anyway, and they should have a say on who the nominee is because they have to run with him. But nevertheless, because of all the uh, backlash, uh, now they only get, they don't get to vote on the first ballot, and we haven't had a second ballot in a long time. But I'd say that you're, tr you're correct that the candidates themselves or their representatives get to choose the delegates. Uh, but the 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 goals impact that and that's one reason i voted against it because yeah. i'm not against young people but 32 percent of the delegation has to be under the age of what i think it's, I think 30, it's 30 yeah or 32 30 right? or 35 i can't remember i can't remember what the age is yeah. but what happens is that because they have to meet that goal they end up selecting people to be delegates to the convention who have sometimes a marginal involvement in the campaign and a limited understanding of the issues and of, uh, you know, and a limited sometimes commitment to the Democratic Party. I see a lot, I've seen a lot of people over the years who have been selected as delegates because of the goals that have to be met, who you never see again politically. They don't participate locally. They, they, they just get to, they go to a convention. We had a guy from Jefferson who went eight years ago uh, we had a very nice lady, uh, lawyer, who went for Obama. I've never seen her involved in politics again from Frederick uh, because she uh, she was involved. So um, it it doesn't it, it it is true though that 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 the candidates can't blame the DNC for who gets to be a delegate because they get to decide. And believe me, there's a lot of competition. I mean, for every one of these hundred and two seats, yeah. there'll be five to ten people who want those seats. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and you know, and I and and just kind of give it the opposite here. Somebody who voted for it, um, you know, the, the the thing that. But what, what I think the party was looking at was to try to make sure that the people who the state of Maryland, the, that the Democratic Party of Maryland was sending to the convention reflected the demographics of the state as best as possible. Um, there certainly are some limitations to that. Well, yeah. let, let me just reiterate one other thing that um, if you're interested in politics, if you're interested in presidential selection, go to the convention anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it costs you a plane ticket to Milwaukee. You might have to share a room with somebody uh, and because uh, housing is sometimes difficult. That's where being a part of the official delegation is good because you get an opportunity that the whole, all the housing is controlled by the convention committee. And so, but, but you double, triple up sometimes. So if you can get somebody who's a delegate who can get a room with two beds and a rollaway, you can, you know, you can accommodate a number of people. But the way it's traditionally been done in the last few years, and I see no reason why this won't occur again, is that if you go there and you're from Maryland, you can sign up to be an official guest. And I'm not sure that's what they call them, uh, a volunteer. And you pay a fee maybe $200, which sounds like a lot, but you're part of the delegation. So you get to go to the events, and there are a lot of events. There's breakfast every morning with the delegation. There's a luncheon usually on Wednesday. There's a big party on Saturday, a Sunday night with your state and maybe some other states together. Uh, and then there are lots of other things that you can go to. And if you're a part of the delegation by paying your fee, you get to go to all that. Uh, and then they always have extra passes, floor passes, 
and they usually use a lottery system or something. And then people get tired. The convention goes on and on and on. <laughs> and so some people don't, some delegates and, and alternates just get tired of sitting there all day. And so they come back and they give their pass to someone else. I mean, to the party and then the party distributes them. Mm -hmm. So you can get in, not the whole time. It's always better to be a delegate. Sure, but, sure. But if you can't get to be a delegate, just go and hang out. I've met so many people in these 12 conventions I've been to uh, over the years have just become friends. It's a great networking opportunity yeah. because you have all these people from the same state way out in Milwaukee in one hotel <laughs> going to the same events. Yeah. So you get to talk to a relatively small group of movers and shakers in the Democratic Party uh, and you get to know these people, and it's a it's a wonderful networking opportunity if you're interested in politics. So uh, we we kind of covered the last thing that I, I wanted to get into, but I, I want to make I just want to state something about, it, and then if you want to comment on it further, you know, and and I one another reason why I wanted to do this podcast was because uh, in recognizing what happened in 2016, uh, and 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 the DNC. Uh, under Tom Perez's leadership, they've, they've decided to make some changes. And the big thing, of course, was noting that the automatic delegates, also known as the super delegates, they do not get to vote on the first ballot. Um, in 2016, you know, there was the perception that uh, the, the super delegates had sort of tipped the scales uh, because before a single ballot was even cast in, in Iowa, uh, several of the automatic or superdelegates had pledged for, uh, for Hillary Clinton. And so this seemed to suggest that she was, you know, as some had said, the anointed one, it was her turn, uh, and that this hurt Bernie. And there were some states, small states, if I'm remembering correctly, one like Montana, where Bernie actually won the popular vote in some of these states. Uh, particularly in the north, uh, northwest, and everything, but Clinton ended up with more delegates from those states. Now, overall, Clinton did have more of the popular vote than Bernie did, and you know they were the two candidates that went into the convention, and Hillary Clinton, being the one with the popular vote, got the nomination. But there was that that feeling or that sentiment that the superdelegates had had maybe influenced. Uh, the the primary. To what extent that is true or is not true, neither here nor there at this point. But the thing is, I guess one of the, the things that some people are concerned about now is that we have 24 candidates, at least at the time of the recording of this podcast, and uh, we had you know a debate where 10 were on one night, 10 were on the other night, so 20 candidates. There's that concern that we might go into a contested convention where we have three, four, or maybe even five candidates who could potentially pull this off but don't have a majority of, of the vote and then end up in, in a contested convention. We haven't had a contested convention in a very long time, uh, so I, I don't know. But uh, I don't know, Tom, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think your concerns and the concerns that others have raised about the superdelegates has been somewhat alleviated, but you're, if, I think what you're getting to is that if it goes beyond the first ballot, the superdelegates are going to be able to vote. 
And, uh, and you know, I, the other thing I'd say is that if you're, if Steny Hoyer has been in Congress forever and, and has been a stalwart leader of the Democratic Party, you know, he, he kind of doesn't feel that it's fair that he can't, uh, well, he can be a delegate if he was selected as a, as an at-large or as a, as a, uh, a district delegate, but, uh, you know, he, he those members of Congress who have led the fight, who have been our leaders, think that they should, and other members of the DNC, think that they should uh, play a role in the process. So, I don't know. I understand. I mean, it's, it's as I say, it's come a long way from the time when there were no elections. Yeah, no just, primary elections. Yeah, the yeah. governor decided who got to be the yeah. delegates, or the, or the head of the party in the state decided who got to be a delegates, but... Uh, who got to be the delegates, but, um, you know, I, I think this will work out. And this is unprecedented, the number of candidates that we have, yeah. so nobody knows how it's going to shake out. It's hard to imagine that somebody's, but but that 15% threshold is important, too. Yeah. I mean, the way the polls were going before the debate, I was imagining that it was possible that Joe Biden would be the only one to get 15% of the vote because it's so, oh, yeah, yeah. so, uh, so many candidates. But now it's tightened, according to the polls, tightened up a lot. But sure, if, if we get four candidates in there with each 20% of the vote or more, uh, if 20% of the delegates, you're not going to get a first ballot uh, victory and uh, nominee, and it will go to future ballots. and. It'll be interesting. Oh, and and sure, there would be a lot of political theater, and oftentimes that's kind of fun in watching a convention. But uh, you know, one one of the the last thing I'll I'll note with it though, like the uh, with, with those those super delegates, you know, since I've been on the central committee here in Frederick County, I, I've gotten to understand you know the the process and and everything and how the party operates, and ultimately. You know, the Democratic Party, as far as I see it, is it, it, it's a team and, and it's a team effort. And, you know, when, when those uh, automatic delegates or super delegates go in, um, and, and of course I've come out saying in my League of Women's Voters thing when I was running for this office that, that I think we should get rid of the super delegates just completely. But since they're there, uh, you know, I, I do see that a lot of these, these people, uh, these elected officials, uh, especially, you know, yeah, as, as you noted, they are they are running on that ticket with this person, and it's certainly not their intention to try to sabotage uh, an election, especially one this important, and and that ultimately, you know, they need to know that this is a candidate who who's going to run a serious campaign. Um, I think one of the criticisms I've always had of Hillary Clinton's campaign was she didn't have as strong a ground game as she needed. Uh, I think the parties learned that lesson, and, and I think you're going to see a stronger ground game, especially in those, those swing states, uh, including north, north and south to us in, in Pennsylvania and Virginia, respectively. Anything else, Tom? Well, um, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a, a fascinating next six months or more. Uh, let's see, the convention's in July, so it's a year. Uh, we have a whole year before the convention, but a lot of decisions will be made before the convention. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to going to my 13th. Uh, whether I'm a delegate or not a delegate, uh, I'm going to be there, uh, assuming that my health allows me to be there because it's just a party I don't want to miss. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tom Slater, for coming on to the podcast and talking about the 
delegate uh, selection plan and, and, and some of your past experiences being a delegate and going to conventions. Thank you. All right. Well, I've been uh, Josh Kramer with the uh, Frederick Democratic uh, Central Committee's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, the music for this podcast was written and performed by David Fitzwater. See you next time.